episode two for the new podcast series. I'm Tom Hayes with Hedge Fund Tips, and we're going to start off this week by talking a little bit about the jobs report data that came out today. Um, the non-farm job gains were 145,000, which missed expectations, but the unemployment rate remained at 3.5%, matching the lowest rate since May of 1969. And the other thing that was interesting was the U4, 5, and 6 um, alternative measures of labor underutilization uh, were at series lows. So many of these discouraged, what they call um, uh, discouraged and underemployed workers, that fell to 6.7%, and that is the lowest it's ever been going back to 1994. So that, that was definitely positive. Uh, as we discussed in previous weeks, you know, on the short-term short basis, some of our indicators were getting a little bit frothy, so the market used that uh, as an opportunity to cool just a little bit and, and the Iran sanctions, etc. But on balance, uh, these numbers are very strong. The job growth continues to remain strong. Unemployment rate's good. Labor force participation rate, uh, that was interesting because, uh, you know, the it is up to 63.2%. That held steady, but um, the workforce rose by 209,000, so now 164.6 million people, uh, which is very positive. And that's something that we discovered la uh, discussed last week with Chair Powell's real intent is to move that labor force participation rate up. And that's why he's going to keep his foot on the pedal, not move rates until uh, he really sees hard and fast, long-standing inflation. He's basically committed to not raising until at least 2021 because he wants to see, you know, another 2%. You can review the chart we put in last week, and that would be another couple million plus jobs, people pulled back into the workforce, and that would be very exciting. So that plan is happening slowly but surely. The labor force participation rate is coming back up from the Great Recession lows, and, uh, and we're starting to see improvement on that front. On a separate note, we've got uh, Catalyst next week, which is the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference. A lot of the biotech companies will be talking. That's been a, a hot sector for us in the last quarter of last year. Um, we harvested some profits, but we have exposure, so we're eager to hear uh, the news coming out of that great conference uh, starting on Monday. So definitely pay attention to that in the biotech sector. The rig count this week came in, uh, again, it fell by 11 to 659 this week. Uh, total active rig count was down 15 from last week at 781, according to Baker Hughes. So that probably puts us in the neighborhood of about uh, 59, 60% down off of its highs in October of 2014. So uh, that le led uh, Harold Hamm to come out uh, earlier this week, and he's predicting, exclusive of Iran, uh, a 19% jump in oil prices within six months. He sees oil WTI at $75 a barrel. Um, he, he's a billionaire that runs Continental Resources, 
It remains to be seen, but you know, you take the rig count down, albeit the technology is better, you can get much more production about out of a smaller number of rigs, but there's not a huge geopolitical um, security premium built in at, at $59 a barrel. So as that count keeps coming down and coming down due to capital discipline required by Wall Street and return of capital through dividends and buybacks, um, that supply-demand equation is, is going to rectify itself. So uh, that's a big theme for 2020. Uh, and we'll get into the earnings, etc. But now getting to our main article of the week. And we've got a lot of great stuff to cover this week. Uh, the name of the article this week was The Cake. That's a band from the late 90s and early 2000s uh, for the Gen X listeners uh, that came up uh, with me. The band's name is Cake, and they did a very popular song called Short Skirt, Long Jacket. And I used this as a metaphor. Their song was I Want a Girl with a Short Skirt, Long Jacket. I used that as a metaphor and swapped out the word girl to stock market with a short skirt, long jacket. And the metaphor is that um, we'll get into here is if you swap that out for stock market, investors want to party in a short skirt <laughs> as a metaphor, but they continue to guard against the cold, the wall of worry by keeping their long jacket on at all times and not believing in the party. That's, you know, in part due to the recency bias of, of, you know, the traumatic great financial crisis for many people. So as people, as that skepticism, as evidenced by um, record inflows to bonds in 2019 and equity outflows in 2019, in one of the best years of equity performance in stock market history in 2019, you know, retail sold out of $135 billion of equities. It was made up by $480 billion of corporate buybacks. Um, but as, as the retail money is getting out and getting into bonds, the market keeps going up. And uh, they've got their long jacket on. They see the market going up, and you know, but their the recency bias is keeping them out. And sooner or later, you know, as the cycle progresses, they get forced back in at, at uh, later times and higher prices. So um, it's it's uh, they 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 see the party happening, but they've got the long overcoat on, and they're scared to to really get you know get down and and enjoy it because they keep looking back at what could happen versus as the uh, versus looking at the data that's coming in they're looking at back at three quarters of negative earnings growth versus looking forward at nine nine and a half ten percent earnings growth for 2020 so um for those of you who remember the song as we get into here we'll just play a few quick seconds to get you in the in the mood Okay, so there we are, uh, those of you who remember that song. And the origin of this, um, of similar origin, was a concept called the hemline indicator. 
in uh, that was developed by a guy named George Taylor in 1926. And I've got a chart here you can look on the website uh, by Smith Barney from uh, some years ago. And he posited that hemlines on women's dresses rose along with stock prices. And for many years, people thought this was just an urban legend. Uh, in 2010, two guys from the Econometric Institute of Erasmus School of Economics, no idea where that is, uh, they did do an economic study, which I posted in the article. And what they found was they collected monthly data on the hemline from 1921 to 2009. This study was done in 2010 and evaluated that data against the National Bureau of Economic Research chronology of the economic cycle. And their main finding was that the urban legend actually did work but with a time lag of about three years. So at that point, they were saying on that basis, the 2008 to 2009 crisis, they predicted that skirts would be at their longest lengths uh, by about 2011. So, you know, I haven't paid any attention to hemlines, but it shows the sociology of um, where we are in the cycle. And that's why I thought the cake song was really appropriate you know, people are kind of feeling better. The economy is obviously humming along, but they still have that rearview mirror caution uh, that's taking them out of equity markets. And, you know, in full candor, you know, missing a year that's up 30 percent like last year, it's very hard, particularly for those close to retirement that pulled out uh, and, and missed that whole upside. It's very hard to recapture that. And that's why it's so... Uh, uh, you know, you don't want to be doing that in the long term of uh, either letting your fears about headlines or politics impact how you think about your long term investments. We're, we're going to be talking about more short term things here today, but, um, you know, it's, it's a lesson to be learned. So basically, uh, what we need to see is, uh, well, one, as that caution persists, that's what we call a wall of worry. And that's going to be beneficial for stocks in coming months and, and, and this year. Uh, what we, where we want to get cautious is when people do throw caution to win and we see the equity, retail equity flows just start to go parabolic and bond flows start to collapse. Uh, the opposite of what happened last year. That's when we may be really a little too frothy. In the interim, will you get 5% and 10% pullbacks? You bet. I'm sure we're going to get a 10% pullback at some point this year. And, uh, you know, many of the people who have been persistently bearish for the last five years are going to say, see, we were right. So, you know, just ignore the headlines, watch the data, watch the earnings, watch, watch uh, many of the different data sets coming in. So where are we now? Uh, we're fully priced in the sense that we're trading at 18 and a half times forward earnings, uh, which are you know above $177 a share on the S&P. So one of two things has to happen. Uh, one, multiple expansion, which would imply later in the cycle, which could be up as high as 21, 22 times. So you could get that. Uh, or two, uh, which I think is more likely that earnings start to improve now that the China deal is going to be signed on the 15th. 
Our exports are going to nearly double off the 2017 high watermark baseline. And I think, as we covered uh, two weeks ago, about CEO and CFO pessimism really at uh, near historic highs around great financial crisis levels, despite the market being at uh, new all-time highs, which is very, very unusual. Usually the pessimism gets that deep after a correction. And I pointed out two weeks ago, you know, in the year after the correction, everyone's backward looking and that's where their sentiment is the worst because they think a, a second shoe is going to drop. And I made the point two weeks ago that we had the 20% correction in December and I think CEOs and CFOs have been looking in the rearview mirror at that, looking at the China uncertainty, which only got resolved a few weeks ago. And that pessimism is going to start to thaw, particularly when they start to see their competitors invest and do deals and CapEx start to go up. Then they get fear of loss because if they underperform their fears, they have job risk, just like asset managers we've talked about. So um, I'm, I'm very eager to see, as I've been stating in recent weeks, what does forward guidance? I think earnings will be better than expected so far. Uh, we'll cover earnings a little later, but it's been like an 83 or 85%. We'll get the exact number beat rate, but well above the five-year average for Q4 earnings beat rates so far. Now we got to look and see what the guidance is going to be. Guidance is going to be the name of the game because if guidance stays steady with the tenure at you know 1.82 and um, you know the relative stocks to bonds the earnings yield relative to the tenure uh, it's just a no-brainer type of decision where you have to have exposure to equities because the spread is so wide that you have to have exposure so in the next week we're going to see i think another 25 companies report but more importantly, we're going to see what the guidance is. And if the guidance stays steady or if it goes up, if the guidance starts to modestly go up by any measure, we're going to see multiple expansion. One turn, maybe even two turns by mid-year. That could be phenomenal. Uh, but what we don't want to see uh, is earnings come materially down or guidance be weak regardless of the beat rate, uh, that would say, look, you know, at an 18 and a half times forward multiple, if guidance starts to come down and you don't get multiple expansion or with bad guidance, you get multiple contraction, then yeah, we're going to get pullbacks. No question. And we're going to get re-rating. Uh, I, I don't anticipate the guidance being that weak. Uh, I think a disappointment would be if it stays, you know, in the current neighborhood and the surprise that no one's looking for is that guidance could start to be slightly better than expected uh, and we'll know more in the next few weeks and we'll talk about it on, a, on this weekly podcast and video cast. So um, the other thing that's also leading me to my sanguine conclusions about maybe guidance going up is because it's happening in Europe of all places where people have been very pessimistic uh, at the time this article was written on Thursday, I had only had the previous week's numbers where the Eurostock 600 guidance for 2020 went up 110 basis points for 2020, uh, which was surprising and no one is talking about that. But since then, you'll see when I talk about today's article, it went up uh, another 160 
basis points. So about 2.7% in the last two weeks, earnings, earnings guidance for the Eurostock 600 has actually improved. So on that basis, I don't see a lot of reason why U.S. earnings would not at least marginally improve if European earnings are going up considerably. Now, in the instances of weak guidance or results from the companies, 20-some-odd companies that have already reported, about 40% were attributed to the strong dollar. Now, that is starting has started to change. The dollar's weakened since Q4, and many people believe that that may persist in 2020. You know, it's a coin flip. I would say odds favor it, but that's that's not my game. I, yeah, I look at earnings, but I, I think there is a good possibility that the dollar does weaken, which would dramatically help U.S. US uh, uh, based companies, multinationals earnings. So that's another tailwind that people maybe aren't considering that will help Q1 and Q2 and certainly forward guidance. So uh, leaving that aside, um, the Fed has remained accommodative, uh, obviously the three cuts, but now the liquidity injection as of January 1st is up $414 billion. If you recall, in our past weeks, we discussed that quantitative tightening over two years. They sucked about $785 billion of liquidity out of the markets. They've just returned $414 billion. So if they continue near this pace, we can actually have the full liquidity restored um, in the next few months by springtime, which would, which would be great. The next concept I covered in... This week's article, which I don't do a ton of uh, technical type analysis uh, in my articles, I tend to lean fundamental and earnings based. But uh, a gentleman named Chris Siovaco, uh, you can find his stuff on Twitter at at Siovaco Capital is his handle. He posted the Value Line Geometric Index in one of his recordings. He does a weekly video as well, and. He talked about the value line geometric growth index. This is basically an equally weighted index using a geometric average. The daily price change of the geometric uh, composite index is found by multiplying the ratio of each stock's closing price to its previous closing price and raising that result to the reciprocal of the total number of stocks. So I basically pulled the chart up and just went back all the way to 1975 when it started and noted the four instances where there were breakouts. Breakout is just when something makes new highs after a long period of consolidation, it breaks through. And oftentimes in breakouts, uh, two things can basically happen. One is it breaks out and then it comes back to test the breakout line. So it's called a breakout and a back test. And then it either fails and, uh, and then breaks back down or it Breakout. Sometimes it just breaks out and goes, but uh, often it breaks out, back tests where it broke out from, and then passes the test, and then it it uh, it persists in the uptrend. So we've had four instances since 1975 where you had these breakout, back test, and then a, a rally. Uh, this was uh, the breakout was 1982 was the first one, and then you had a breakout here, 
breakout back test and then a big rally was in 1985 and then a much longer consolidation from 87 to and then you broke out and back test and then you took off in 95 and what's interesting about 95 is there are a lot of comparisons everyone's been drawing the most important in my view is the comparison to the fed which differs from 1998 in 1995 the fed had gotten ahead of itself they raised too quickly for two years just like we saw in uh um 2017 and 2018 and they quickly cut three times in the mid 90s and then they let it run hot and and basically they didn't start raising for a year year and a half after that third cut which allowed the economy to run a little hot and it extended the cycle by five years from 95 to 2000 and that's basically what chair powell said he wanted to do in his december meeting he said, more or less, unlike 1998, where they did the three cuts, uh, the problem was seven months later, they started raising, and that's what choked off the end of the cycle in 2000, and we all know what happens after that. So they basically did the three cuts in 98, extended the cycle a, a year and a half, uh, but tightened too quickly just seven months later. He basically said, I'm committed to increasing the labor force participation rate. I want to bring people at the margins back in the workforce. I want people's wages to go up. I want the regular people to start to benefit. I'm going to let this run hot. Labor force participation rate, we covered 63.2. It could go back all the way up to 67, which would be millions and millions and millions of jobs over the next four or five years. Um, so anyway, in that condition, um, uh, you know, you had the back test and then a huge rally. And then now we've had the longest possible consolidation in the value line geometric index. And that's been from, you know, 1999 all the way. We had a breakout in 2017. We just back tested it in December. We've held and now we're breaking out again. So the point I make in this article is that the longer the base was, the bigger the move was in the value line geometric index. So the first instance that broke out in 1982 was four years of consolidation. The second instance was just two years. So in the first instance, after you did the breakout back test, the rally was 85%. Uh, and in the second instance, that was only two years, the rally was 38%. And then in the wider one from 87 to 95 when it broke out that was over 90 92 percent when it broke out much longer consolidation that was the biggest rally and now we've been rally, uh consolidating for you know uh 99 to you know 20 some odd years it'll be interesting to see what the potential is here now just because of a technical pattern that doesn't really impress me and it shouldn't impress you or should you say wow this is really going to happen now because some squiggly lines but it's notable because it measures human behavior and how they respond to certain conditions and and what i find fascinating about the 95 instance was the fed and the discount rate is paramount to the price of assets and they're doing the same thing that happened in 95 that's interesting What's interesting and notable about 82 when you had the 85% rally following the back test is that the 
uh, boomers were starting, you know, they're starting massive housing formation. And we're seeing that now with the millennials. The difference is the boomers were only 80 million people. The millennials are 85 million. What this is all about, this whole consolidation and the Fed, uh, the central banks around the world being able to print $10 trillion and getting no inflation is because you had a huge drop from 80 million boomers to 65 million Gen X. My generation screwed everything up. We didn't have enough housing formation, so we didn't have any growth, the durable goods, housing starts, etc. All suffered in this period, so the Fed had to step in and uh, support it and basically paper over the pothole until the natural growth returned, which is now starting, albeit the, the millennials started later, but they are much bigger than the baby boomers were, which led to this 18 plus year secular growth cycle. So there, there's a real possibility here. Now, do we get a 10 or 20% recession in the meantime before we go? I don't know. Uh, uh, but, you know, so far earnings are not looking that way. But in the rearview mirror, earnings were flat. In the looking through the windshield, earnings are going to be up to the extent uh, that near the extent that they were up from 2016 to 2017 had a low double digit growth rate and the market rallied 37%. Now we've already rallied 15, 16% off the, uh, I'm sorry, yeah, about 15% off of the October lows. So that, you know, that would imply if that's a model, maybe another 18, 20%, but uh, which is also consistent with what does the S&P do after a 210 inversion and in the following 18 months, you use, on average, the last three times, you get a mid-30s uh, rally, which would imply another 20-some-odd percent is in the cards if you're, if you're in the late-cycle camp. So it's all open to the data and the guidance moving forward, but the fundamental support that things may be better, and it may be time, as I stated in the article that we can all guys and girls take off our long overcoat and enjoy the party uh so that's uh that's something to consider so i thought this was really just a, a nice way of expressing where we are and uh and and what what could be the case moving forward we also covered the shorter term indicators which i thought was fascinating that the bullishness is coming off the boil in the last week bullish percent down to 33 percent from 37 percent from last week bearish jumped a third up to uh, more than a third up to 29 from 21. And that's interesting with the market making new highs that people are getting bearish. Again, this wall of worry, whether it's Iran or or something else, uh, people want a party, but they've got that coat on. They're just nervous. They keep looking in that rearview mirror. They keep selling out of uh, equities in 2019 when the market was up 30%. It's just so uh, keep an eye on that. So this just shows you where it is. These levels can stay pinned for a while. Could it go back down and could we get a 10% correction? You bet. But could it also stay pinned for a while? For sure. And that's just going to depend on what we hear in the next few weeks from earnings. Fear and greed was also elevated. Again, not a level to add a lot of new risk. But is it a level to sell everything you have? You know, we've trimmed. You know, we've said that for the last few weeks. We had a lot of things move huge moves off the August and, and September lows that we trimmed and we reallocated into laggard sectors, uh, you know, from uh, mid-October to early December, we were adding a lot in exploration and production, which we'll talk about, which is nice because it had a little pullback this week, so we can discuss it. And then active 
uh, National Association of Active Investment Managers came back. So even active professionals pulled back their active exposure right after the new year. Again, you know, long jacket, short skirt, long jacket. They want to party, but they're they're nervous, and uh, and and that's rarely the indication of a top. The indication of a top is when you hear the magical four words. This time it's different. And my guess is it will be something. It'll be 5G is going to change the world, which it will. But, you know, people, you know, you'll see people just chasing up and people say this time's it different. Multiples don't matter, et cetera. And we're not there yet. We, you know, we don't have retail people in the market. If you go to a cocktail party, no one's really, I mean, maybe a little bit now people are starting to ask about stocks. But when you're at a peak, you know, everyone has just set up their E-Trade account or their Schwab account. And they're like, what do you think of this? And what do you think of that? And it's, it's just not the case. People are still um, talking about other things. So that was the core article. Now we're going to move on to some sector earnings real quick. Uh, first is energy, which I said I wanted to cover. Uh, this is not the exploration and production that we've been focused on. These were the larger integrateds the Exxons, the Chevrons, etc. XLE was the ETF. And this is the sector that's expected to grow 21% uh, year on year from 2019 to 2020 earnings growth rate. Uh, that They actually took that up. We'll cover that later from 214 to 21.8% in the last week. So th this is a group that estimates have gone up for 2020. Um, uh, in the past... 60 days, though, it had come down negative 2.2%, uh, which is, you know, kind of normal going into earnings season. So that's what happened with energy. Uh, this is the exploration and production subsector that we spent so much time on. This was early December. We had this huge, huge move, 20 some odd percent, 22%, I think, at the peak. And then after the Iran thing, you know, that whole thing got flushed. So we're going through a couple week consolidation until we can make a next leg higher in my view. Um, so expect another, you know, week or so of choppiness. And then I think as, as uh, earnings come in and, um, and things settle down regarding Iran or don't settle down, but as they do, uh, this sector can, can make another leg up. Next was the gold miners. And uh, by the way, on the exploration production, we're going to look at some longer term charts at the end of this video cast and podcast uh, that will sh give you perspective while we've had this enormous move. And many people are like, oh, that's it, because they're looking in the rearview mirror of so many times of getting fleeced in the last few years when it gets going and, you know, pulls back down. Um, you know, we'll show you where we are in the context of the longer term trend. Gold miners, we covered the heaviest weights in the ETF. Their earnings expectations were down 2.5% in the last 60 days, which is interesting because they've been flying. Um, so they may, in fact, be due for a rest in coming months. We'll see. Uh, please, gold bugs, do not send me hate mail or comments on that. Um, let's just see how it plays out. Uh, real estate, the REITs. Uh, in the last 60 days, they were basically flat down eight tenths of eight, eight basis points in the last 60 days. So pretty steady. And next, we're going to move into general stock market earnings. This was fascinating to me. Again, I, I already covered. So the S&P 500 
2020 earnings came down from 177.77 to 177.64. So to minimus, basically flat. But the European Euro stocks earnings went up another 160 basis points on top of 110 last week. So 270 bips for 2020 in two weeks. That's huge. And no one is paying attention to the fact that earnings guidance is going up so dramatically for the Euro stocks 600. And so basically they took down Q1. They took up Q2 big, bigly, as as uh, some folks would see. Q3 was flat and Q4 they took up. So that added up to a big, big jump. You can see the data there. And to get to the de- 20 companies of the S&P 500 have reported 84% beat rate, which is much higher than the five-year average. 74% beat rate on the top line, 84% on the bottom line. The S&P t- consensus target price is a 12-month target price is at 3474, which is only a 6.1% gain above yesterday's closing price, which tells me that again, people have that, you know, short skirt long jacket. The Wall Street analysts, uh they are uh, you know, right in line with the retail investor, very, very cautious and uh, um, skeptical. And again, that's the wall of worry, because basically what they're saying is if earnings growth is going to be nine and a half percent and price appreciation is only going to be six point one percent, they're basically saying one of two things. One is that um, you're going to have multiple contraction, which in a low rate environment, you know, Fed just lowered the discount rate by 75 bips. The 10 years at 182 or so, uh, that would be unlikely to get multiple contraction when your discount rate has come down. So what they're basically saying is they don't believe earnings are going to happen uh, or earnings are going to come down materially. Um, otherwise, you would have a 9.4%, you know, you'd have a much higher price target. And I think they're going to prove to be too conservative as they were last year. If earnings stay in this range or even start to go higher like European earnings, uh, or if the dollar comes down, that's really going to juice earnings, uh, then you're not only going to get higher price from the higher earnings, you're going to get higher price because you're going to get one or two more turns of multiple expansion given the the fact that rates are low. Um, So that's the story I see on the target price. And then finally... Uh, We talked about the expected earnings growth by sector. Energy actually came up 40 basis points. It was projected to gain 20, to have an earnings growth rate of 21.4% on December 31st. 10 days later, it's at 21.8%. So that's positive. The worst three sectors of 2019 are projected to have the highest earnings growth of 2020 off easier comps. And that's the story for earnings. So we're going to have... Uh, 24 S&P components will report earnings this week, and three of them will be Dow components. So we're going to get some good color and hopefully some good guidance, uh, or we'll take down our expectations if we don't. But I, I do believe that guidance is going to be uh, just fine and maybe maybe better than everyone expects now with the clarity uh, with the with the phase one getting signed on the 15th this week, which is also positive. The last thing is there's a kind of feeling out there that everything is overpriced and there's nowhere to get value. 
And I just you know wanted to pull up a few longer term uh, charts just to kind of give people some perspective on what's happening out there and the opportunities for rotation. So this is the, unfortunately you can't see the ticker here, but you can see that what, what it's done. It's SCIF, this is the Vanek Vectors India Small Cap Index. So, you know, you can see here it's peak when it went public in 2010, when uh, emerging markets were humming was at $88.96. It's now trading down to, you know, around $30. It's, it's had a nice move off the bottom, $34 now. But just a year, year and a half ago, it was up to $71. So, you know, India small cap growth, if you get a weakening dollar, that helps commodities, that helps emerging markets, and uh, and you could see, and, and that'll, uh, you know, give the rupee some strength, which has just been smoked. You could see groups like this that are trading down to uh, really tough time levels in the emerging markets just starting to get a bid. Uh, not everything is oversold. I mean, this is a huge crash of 60, 70% in the last year and a half. Uh, not everything is overbought. You just have to look for the value. Uh, as our buddy Jim Cramer always says, there's a bull market somewhere. You got to find it. Well, let's take a look at the same thing. This is the CRB index of commodity. The commodity basket peaked in uh, 2008 at 473. It's now trading down, you know, to uh, real crisis. I mean, in the bottom of the crisis it was at 200 it's been trading below 200 for uh for a few years here and uh and and here we are and it looks like it's just starting to it's formed a base over about four years and it just looks like it wants to take off now so that's the crb um this is again similar these are all related by the way they're they'll benefit from a weaker dollar higher commodity prices if this persists you know Emerging markets here, small cap India, CRB index starting to take off. Um, exploration and production. Yeah, we've had a 20 some odd percent move in just a few weeks, but look where we are. We're trading down to great financial crisis levels and the oil depression levels of 2015 16. And we've got oil, you know, here oil was down to $26 a barrel in 2016. Uh, and during the Crisis, it was at WTI was at 33. Here, oil's at you know 58.60, and the break evens are lower than they used to be, for many producers below 50, in some cases the low 40s. So uh, this may be a durable move, and as you can see, when they bounce, they they bounce hard. And we've gone through all the earnings and all the fundamentals in previous weeks. So I just wanted to kind of give you the bigger picture view. This is the exploration and production XOP ETF that we have. Uh, also have exposure to and then here's one that we haven't looked at which is the services oil services this is oih and they have another one xes you know trading well below the great financial crisis all the way back to the um the glut in the early 2000s and it's looking to try to make a base here off of those 20 year ago levels and this is you know this is not you know you're buying uh Avon products or something and hoping for uh, a miracle. This is, you know, this is a basket of Baker Hughes, Schlumberger, uh, you know, Halliburton, all the major multi-billion dollar servicers that have just gotten caught up in, in what has been 
a short-term glut. Now the rig counts down 59%. And by the way, you know, look at how long these take. You know, maybe you had bought it in 2001, all the way down here at 10 bucks, and you know, you held it until 2003. Two years, you were back right to where you started. So you had no gains for two years buying the quote-unquote bottom of the servicers, and then all of a sudden, from in the next six years you had a 500 percent return 6x from 11 to 61. Um, so that was worth the wait and you know I just uh, so that you could have a situation in 2009 it was a little different it just went straight up you bought it at 16 and, and it took off so here we are back at 10 to 2001 levels yeah we've moved up you know 30 percent off the bottom but it's kind of nothing relative to where it could trend to over years and that doesn't preclude these type of basing patterns that take a few years but you know where when i see like we did the we're in the financial times article in early december you can look on the website under featured on uh you know when you have buffett putting in 10 billion of preferred to occidental and then another 300 million in equity to follow on and then you've got Icon, who's got, you know, looks like about 25% of his portfolio in energy, 5.5 billion. And you got Lee Cooperman in WPX. And you got um, um, Richard Kinder buying his stock hand over fist, I think $78 million in 2019, on top of another 200 some odd million he's been buying. Um, and you have uh, Jerry Jones of the Cowboys, who made his fortune in, in distressed EMPs in the 80s, now back into buying distressed EMPs, focused on natural gas, did a billion last summer, is trying to do another billion with Chesapeake. So when you have the smart money going in when everyone else is selling and they're buying, and, the, and you know history looks like this, and you buy a basket, you don't try to be a hero and pick the, you know, the one stock but instead you buy a basket, um, a lot of good things can happen. So that's it for this, this week. We'll see you back here next week, and thanks for tuning in.